Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today is a fairly packed episode, so I'm going to go on and get started with our In the News segment. Big news story of the past seven days. First up, People.com put out an article talking about how the Georgetown home Jackie moved into after JFK's death is up for sale for a whopping $10 million. It's a 9,339-square-foot mansion with eight bedrooms and six bathrooms. It also has a .38-acre lot, one of the largest in the neighborhood, complete with a backyard pool, lush landscaping, multiple terraces, and parking for five cars. According to People, listed on the National Register of Historic Places, the home was built in 1805 by bank magnate Romulus Riggs and has a storied history beyond Jackie's stay. When the former first lady moved into the home, it was owned by W. Averill Harriman, the former governor of New York, and his wife Pamela Churchill Harriman, whose first husband, Randolph Churchill, was the only son of British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. So, if you got 10 mil, the house can be yours, and if you buy it, let me know and invite me over, please. Just saying. Next up, and in the same vein of our episode today, the Washington Post put out an interesting article talking about how baseball's response to RFK's death inspired some players to fight back and sit out. According to the Post, the final speech of Robert F. Kennedy's life began with a mostly forgotten shout-out to a pitcher who had set a record that night in Los Angeles. I want to first express my high regard to Don Drysdale, who pitched his sixth straight shutout tonight. Kennedy said at the Ambassador Hotel across town, and I hope that we have as good fortune in our campaign. The article continues on to say Kennedy's death 53 years ago Sunday, which shocked and saddened the nation, had a surprising impact on Major League Baseball. It inspired some players to challenge team owners by refusing to play on the weekend of his funeral. This small act of rebellion, at a time when players had very little power, foreshadowed today's era of activist athletes, including the player-led boycotts last year after the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. End quote. I'd encourage you to read the rest of this very interesting piece for yourself. Moving on to the inspiring clip of the week. One of the inspiring notes. This one comes from RFK's interview in February of 1968 with Harry Belafonte hosting The Tonight Show. He was addressing the hypocrisy of America's inequality. Uh, the whole uh, question of whether we are lowering the barriers with communism and uh, on one side of the world and we're signing a a proliferation treaty of uh, control of atomic weapons in one part of the world and in another part of the world with killing people because they're communists. Sounds inconsistent, and it is inconsistent. Or uh, the whole question, of, for instance, of drugs. Uh, we uh, permit uh, bath, uh, cigarettes, which kill far more people every year than marijuana, for instance. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, then uh, we, uh, but the, there is tremendous economic power behind those people, and uh, so that we don't pass laws to deal with that, even though our Department of Health has said that they're so dangerous, kill, what, 350,000 people a year. Well, so uh, uh, there, is, there is this great wealth that I talked about, and that there's yet this great poverty. There are speeches made about the fact we're going to treat everybody equally, 
and yet we don't treat everybody equally. There's talks given and pronouncements made and laws written that everybody's going to have an opportunity to have a job and have decent housing, and yet 43% of the people that live in the city of New York and live in this city uh, live in dilapidated and run-down housing and are bitten by rats, 17,000 people bitten by rats, and the poverty in rural areas is, is worse. So if, if we weren't uh, sanctimonious about it, we weren't hypocritical about it, and we didn't perhaps tell untruths about ourselves, then I think that, uh, and, and faced up to reality, then I think our country would be much better off, and our people would have much more confidence in those of us who are public officials and in our government as a whole. All right, time to get started with the episode. Trigger warning, this episode will contain detailed gun violence. With Robert F. Kennedy's assassination happening 53 years ago last week, on June 5th, 1968, then him passing away on the 6th, I felt it was time to do an episode on this tragedy. As always, I will in the future be doing more in-depth episodes with certain parts of this event, and in this episode I won't be addressing any theories or real details about Sirhan Sirhan, but will do this at a later date, as I have been interested about this in the past and have researched various theories and Sirhan Sirhan as a whole. This episode will be more of a timeline of the events that led up to his murder and after. Today's sources are History.com, The Washington Post, USA Today, and Wikipedia. Without further ado, here we go. So, after an intense presidential campaign, RFK was moving forward with coming close to securing the Democratic presidential nomination. A huge part along the way was to win the California primary. Also, Senator Kennedy would find out if he won California and South Dakota in the same evening. So, this was a big night and a big deal. Let's also keep in mind America's current climate at the time. The Vietnam War was going on, MLK had recently been assassinated, and LBJ had decided not to run for president again. Bobby gave a lot of people a lot of hope that America had a brighter future of love and acceptance, and many felt he was the only man that could make it happen. Bobby was awaiting the results at the Ambassador Hotel in California with his team and his friends, star athletes Rafer Johnson and Roosevelt Greer, and various family members, including his wife Ethel. I had a hard time finding who all from the family was actually with him, but I know for a fact that his son David, who was 12 at the time, was watching TV at the Ambassador Hotel when his father was shot. It's honestly so sad because he actually saw the coverage but was left in the room alone without an explanation as his parents were rushed to the hospital. He dealt with a lot of emotional problems, understandably so, after the assassination and unfortunately started using drugs shortly after. He sadly overdosed in the spring of 1984 after a long battle with addiction. Let's back up a little bit, though. The date was actually June 4th, 1968, and the race was nerve-wracking. The polls ended up showing that Kennedy won 56% of the state's votes, and McCarthy won 42. Side note, an interesting historical fiction movie to check out about this is called Bobby. It follows the fictional lives, and non-fictional lives, too. There's some real people in there, of various people around the Ambassador Hotel the day of the assassination. And I just thought it was a good film. So if you watch it, let me know your thoughts. Back to it. So Bobby took the stage to announce his victory a little after midnight on June 5th at the hotel. Here's a clip of his speech. What I think all of these primaries have indicated, if I could just take a minute or two minutes more of your time. What all of these primaries have indicated and all of the party caucuses have indicated whether they occurred in Colorado or Idaho or Iowa, wherever they occurred, it was the people in the Democratic Party and the people in the United States want to change. And that change can come about only if they, those who are delegates in Chicago recognize the importance 
of what has happened here in the state of California, what has happened in South Dakota, what happened in New Hampshire, what happened across the rest of this country. The country wants to move in a different direction. We want to deal with our own problems within our own country, and we want peace in Vietnam. Congratulate uh, Senator uh, McCarthy and the, those who have been associated, those who have been associated with him, and their efforts that they have uh, started in New Hampshire and carried through to this, to uh, the primary here in the state of California. The fact is that all of us are involved in this great effort, and it's a great effort not on behalf of the Democratic Party. It's a great effort on behalf of the United States, on behalf of our own people, on behalf of mankind all around the globe and the next generation. I would hope, I would hope now that the California primary is finished, now that these primaries are over, that we could now concentrate on having a dialogue or a debate, I hope, between the vice president and perhaps myself on what direction we want to go in the United States. What we're going to do in the rural areas of our country, what we're going to do for those who still suffer within the United States from hunger, what we're going to do around the rest of the globe, and whether we're going to continue the policies that have been so unsuccessful in Vietnam of American troops and American Marines carrying the major burden of that conflict. I do not want to, and I think we should move in a different direction. So I... So I thank, I thank all of you who made this possible this evening, all of the effort that you made and all of the people whose names I haven't mentioned, but who made all, did all of the work at the precinct level, who got out the vote, who did all of the effort, uh, brought forth all of the effort that's required. I was a campaign manager eight years ago. I know what a difference that kind of an effort and that kind of commitment makes. So I thank all of you, those of you who are here. Mayor, Mayor Yorty has just sent me a message that we've been here too long already. So, uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Thank you. After his speech, he walked away from the stand in the ballroom and intended to continue through that room to another gathering of supporters, but was detoured through the kitchen to go speak to press instead. Kennedy had protection from FBI agent William Barry and unofficial bodyguards in Rafer Johnson and Rosie Greer as well. According to Wikipedia, who I normally hate using as a source, but their material on the assassination was well-researched and well-written. They say Kennedy finished speaking and started to exit when William Barry stopped him and said, no, it's been changed. We're going this way. Barry and Dutton began clearing a way for Kennedy to go left through swinging doors to the kitchen corridor, but Kennedy was hemmed in by the crowd and followed the hotel manager, Carl Euchre, through a back exit. Euchre held onto his wrist unless he released to shake hands. 
just when he turned to shake hands with busboy Juan Romero, who was famously pictured in a few photos from that night. Quote, Sirhan Sirhan stepped down from a low tray stacker beside the ice machine, rushed past Euchre, and repeatedly fired an eight-shot, 22 long rifle caliber Ivor Johnson Cadet 55A revolver. Kennedy fell to the floor, and bodyguard William Barry hit Sirhan twice in the face, while others, including writer George Plimpton and Greer, forced him against the steam table and disarmed him as he continued firing his gun in random directions. Five other people were wounded as well. William Weisel of ABC News, Paul Schrade of the United Automobile Workers Union, Democratic Party activist Elizabeth Evans, Ira Goldstein of the Continental News Service, and Kennedy campaign volunteer Erwin Stroll. So after a minute, Sirhan wrestled free and grabbed the revolver again, but he had already fired all the bullets and was subdued. Barry went to Kennedy and placed his jacket under the candidate's head, later recalling, I knew immediately it was a 22, a small caliber, so I hoped it wouldn't be so bad. But then I saw the hole in the senator's head and I knew. Reporters and photographers rushed into the area from both directions, contributing to the confusion and chaos. As Kennedy lay wounded, Juan Romero cradled his head and placed a rosary in his hand. Kennedy asked Romero, is everybody okay? And Romero responded, yes, everybody's okay. Kennedy then turned away and said, everything's going to be okay, end quote. Of course, there was a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion at this scene. Here's a clip from the live coverage happening moments after the shooting. This is Terry Drinkwater. Uh, this is Terry Drinkwater, CBS News. We've had an indication of clarification of exactly what has happened back there. That Senator Kennedy was involved in a shooting that a newsman was involved and that one other man was involved. There are now three doctors back there caring for them. There's a large amount of blood on the floor of this anti-room. Ice is now being uh, brought back, brought into the room, into the back. Uh, what do you understand happened? From what I understand, there were several shots fired back there. Of course, panic immediately arose. They were locked up the whole place. Now the back there is an absolute madhouse. People are screaming and shouting. The Kennedy staff are all just in panic. There's just absolute madness back there, screaming and shouting and fighting. Were you back there? Not, it is not clear at this time the condition of Senator Kennedy or any of the two other people who are reportedly wounded and who are back in uh, the ante room here now. There are at least three doctors there, two of whom were out here in the auditorium, the victory celebration room, listening to the Kennedy statement just a few minutes ago. So Ethel was three months pregnant at the time with their child, Rory, and she pushed through the crowds to be by her husband's side, kneeling next to him as he was still conscious. He was quickly taken by ambulance to Central Receiving Hospital. As he was being loaded onto the stretcher, though, his last words were, don't lift me. Then he lost consciousness not long after that. A doctor and Ethel were able to still hear his heartbeat when he got to the hospital. About half an hour later, he was transferred to the hospital of the Good Samaritan for surgery. It was unfortunately a long and unsuccessful one, though, because he didn't improve. They eventually found that Bobby had suffered three gunshots, two by his right armpit and one behind his right ear. Jackie actually ended up coming to the hospital as soon as she could get there, and she was the one to make the call to pull him from life support because he wasn't going to survive, and Ethel didn't want to be the one to make that call. He died on June 6, 1968, at 1.44 a.m. His death was publicly announced by his press secretary, Frank Mankiewicz, in the gymnasium of the hospital where the press gathered. Here's the clip of that. 
Senator Robert Francis Kennedy died at 1.44 a.m. today, June 6, 1968. With Senator Kennedy, at the time of his death, were his wife, Ethel, his sisters, Mrs. Stephen Smith, Mrs. Patricia Lawford, brother-in-law, Mr. Stephen Smith, the sister-in-law, Mrs. John F. Kennedy. He was uh, 42 years old. Although I think I've mentioned before, but I'm going to mention it again, I'm going to do an entire episode on his funeral and the famous train ride lined by Americans paying their respects. I wanted to go on and include in this episode a clip of Ted Kennedy's eulogy he wrote for his brother's funeral on June 8th. My brother need not be idealized or enlarged in death beyond what he was in life. To be remembered simply as a good and decent man who saw wrong and tried to right it, saw suffering and tried to heal it, saw war and tried to stop it. Those of us who loved him and who take him to his rest today Pray that what he was to us, and what he wished for others, will someday come to pass for all the world. As he said many times in many parts of this nation, to those he touched and who sought to touch him, some men see things as they are and say why. I dream things that never were and say why not. Robert Francis Kennedy was laid to rest at Arlington Cemetery on June 8, 1968, very close to his brother's final resting place. I've personally had the privilege of visiting both graves and would highly recommend visiting if you're in the area. His death, as I've said before, left us all wondering, what if? What if he had become president? Would things in America be different today? I actually posted on my Instagram account at Kennedy Dynasty. Make sure you're following me there if you aren't already. But I posted there asking you guys to share your experiences from when you remember hearing the news of his assassination. I'm going to share a few of those comments now anonymously. One person said, I was only seven years old. I remember watching the news with my dad, seeing RFK loaded into the ambulance. My dad saying, they did it again. I can't believe they did it again. The funeral, such sad memories. Another said, I was only eight years old and only remember my mother telling me he was shot and died. As an adult, I absolutely believe Bobby Kennedy would have changed the world. Another, I was 15 years old and had a morning paper route. I read the headline that morning in the newspaper with shock, disbelief, and an absolute sense of despair. Lastly, another person shared, was seven years old and my mom got me out of bed to come watch the TV. It was sad and at school that is all we talked about. For days, there were tears. We are Canadian, but Senator Kennedy's passing was a loss for the world. Clearly, his death was impactful to many all over the world and continues to sad many to this day. As I said on Instagram, he left a legacy of constant tiny ripples of hope for peace and love for all humanity. That's all for today. I hope you learned something new. Don't forget to research the topic more for yourself if you're interested. Also, make sure to check all the links out in the description of this episode from my merch shop to my Amazon recommendation site to my Instagram. It's all there. If you like the podcast, please rate it five stars and write a positive written review if you listen on Apple Podcasts, and I will talk to you guys soon. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Yeah.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.